with my uh Okay everyone, welcome to the second QA session with Chase. Um we've compiled a few sets of questions from the Questions for Joseph channel and we will be answering them in a second. But before we do that, uh I'm gonna start with congratulating the competition winner, Adrian Barlett of No More Mr. Nice Guy. Uh if you're listening, please contact Chase with your mailing details so we can send it to you. Yeah, like also, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go on, go on. Uh, I did put my email contact information in that video when it was announced, and that was, I believe, the last type comparison video I did, ESTJs versus ENTJs. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, I just want to remind you to consider joining the Discord server because that's where we announce all the question and answer sessions with Chase, and that's where you can actually ask questions to him. Also, if you're on, if you don't know Chase's Instagram, so consider following that as well. And on a side note, Chase, how are you going? How's your day? Uh, busy as hell, basically. Like the, the usual in Silicon Valley is uh, everyone is, you know, a bunch of cattle trying to get on to the uh, – the cattle trough uh, conveyor belt, also known as the freeway, and uh, trying to get from point A to point B to point C. And uh, do they make it back to A? Probably not. They're probably all at the bar right now, uh, where I'm not for some reason. So, but okay. yeah. That was a rather depressing turn. Let's just <laughs> jump straight into it and get into some of the questions. Fair enough. So, do you have any thoughts on how Enneagram can affect? The different types. Does knowing a person's enneagram matter when trying to determine their type? In your opinion, does it affect how you interact? So enneagram. Uh, I'm gonna like channel the spirit of Bale right now and just be like, oh yeah, enneagram's so nice. You should definitely pay as much attention to it as possible and take the test and learn every aspect of the enneagram for your personal benefit. No, no. I let's be honest. I I don't care about the enneagram actually and when I get Enneagram related questions, it's just like, eh, uh, why do I not care about it? Uh, two reasons. Uh, one, I haven't studied it well enough to like really comment on it. And two, the other reason is because from uh, when I did look into Enneagram and I did this about five years ago uh, and uh, I like I read a book on it and uh, did some testing with it. And there's different tests, and I'd get different results with it. But my main issue with it is that when it came to describing human nature versus human nurture, I noticed that similarly to the big five test, uh, they kind of bled into each other too much, right? Uh, and I prefer a more strict human nature approach when it comes to depth psychology typology. That's my preference. Uh, but... Uh, Enneagram, you kind of have a hard time telling the difference between nature versus nurture. At least I do, right? So I haven't really spent uh, so much about it. Um, now, it, there's other systems out there that works. And uh, I like Socionics, for example. I actually like Socionics, except for the fact what they talk about with compatibility. I think their their perspective on compatibility is utter crap, Uh because the whole idea that I would be super awesome in a dualist relationship with an ISFJ woman is 
absolutely asinine to me. Like, no, thank you. ENTPs should not be with ISFJs. That's just not how it works. ENTPs should be with NJs, uh, romantically speaking. So, and of which ISFJs are not. So, yeah, definitely not going to go in that direction. So, a little tangential there, but that's what I do. We all know that. So, what's next? Okay. Uh, is it possible for some folks to live as their shadow for so long as they normalize it as their main type? I think you've answered this before, but if you do a brief one just for this person. Right. Okay, sure. Uh, we did kind of talk about that a little bit in the last Q&A section. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Uh, but that being said, uh, I'll go ahead and answer it again. Can it be, but I don't think it was asked if it can be permanent, right? Uh, the answer is no. The answer is no, it cannot be permanent. Uh, however, it may seem like it's permanent if you're around the stimuli, the external stimuli, the neutral stimuli that you're around or is around you, I guess, uh, that would keep you in your shadow, then sure, it may seem like it would last indefinitely. So you have to kind of get away from that external neutral uh, stimuli to be able to get out of being stuck in your shadow for a long time. Now, how do you do this? Well, the answer to that question is your superego. That's what your superego is for, you know, contrary to popular belief in the Catholic Church, or maybe even the Protestant Church, where they just say it's like this sin nature thing that you have to get away from as much as possible. Okay, yeah, if you go to your superego, you know, in, in the wrong place, in the wrong time, under the wrong circumstance, yeah, it could come out and be a very negative experience for you and everyone else. But the superego exists as the nuclear option. It's... Uh, it's for, um, you know, that big red button you press to reset your life. And when you're stuck in your shadow, being in that abusive situation, as long as you are, this, you use your superego to burn your life down, right? It's like burning down a forest so that new life can grow in the forest, right? Getting rid of all that dead wood, pruning your life, you know, like pruning grapevines, etc. That's what the superego is for. So if you find yourself in those situations where you're stuck, activate your superego, right? And then literally... Flip your life upside down, you know, chaos is a ladder, create some chaos with it in some cases, or exert absolute total control over your life. Do the opposite, right? Uh, the superego super is insanely powerful, and uh, while it can and probably 80% of the time is a negative experience and will cause problems for you and other people and be insanely damaging, and it is what corrupts the human soul, it can be used healthily to reset your life so that you can get back into your ego because until you reset your life that's not really going to happen and i did not hit my nuclear option which was my esfp chaotic evil demon heath ledger's portrayal of the joker let's go with it uh when i was in uh, las vegas uh, two vegas trips ago um which was like when i was 27 so that's that's how long it took for me to hit the nuclear option for me and just finally like get out of it. Well, it's actually technically 26, to be honest. And then when I became my ENTP again at 26, it's like, OK, here's how it goes. But is it permanent? No, it's not permanent. You just you have to make decisions differently to get back into your ego, et cetera. OK, um, another person asked, considering that high stress is common. How would you recognize someone in their shadow function? How do I recognize? No, not at all. Um, how do I recognize someone who's in their shadow function or shadow sides of their mind, basically? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, so you look at the gateway functions uh, for that, and the gateway function into the shadow is the nemesis. 
and that's where a person's worry exists. So uh, let's say an ISTP, they're worried that other people are not going to be effective, right? Or they're not going to be intelligent to handle this task and whatnot. It's when someone is basically overly worried and they're in consistent worry mode all the time. And that's when they're typically, you know, utilizing their shadow. And then they become overly critical and then they start making decisions based on having little information. Uh, they either take action too quickly or not quickly enough. It's like in extremes, right? It's always extremes. It's not a balance, um, a balance of decision-making as a result. And, uh, and then also every now and then uh, their demon may become like extra bitter, right? And that's when they would be potentially – they're just hypersensitive in that way, right? It's, it's, um, it's like a higher sensitivity, uh, and, uh, and, it, and it depends. You know, are they, are they in, their, in, their, in the shadow side of their mind willfully, or are they in it like not, not willfully? And most of the time, it's not willful because you have to become a very integrated human being to be able to go into your shadow like very willfully, as it were. And that's just kind of like the difference on it, et cetera. So, okay. Uh, another question came through. Uh, how do interaction styles translate through written forms of communication? I will not answer that question at all out of respect for my mentors. That is not a question that I am allowed to answer at this time. So, okay. Another question which was asked, how do I not exhaust my TE making up for my SE tricks to blind spots? And how do I prevent my SE trickster from embarrassing my TE? My SE trickster from embarrassing my TE. So this is an INFP asking this question. Uh, well, for one, surround yourself with people that won't think less of you for dropping things. You know what I mean? Or for dressing poorly or having poor fashion sense. You know, surround yourself with forgiving people who actually care about your well-being and think highly of you because they think that you are this person of insanely high moral fiber, and uh, you know, and, and able to provide warning for them, and also super loyal. You know that they see you as a super loyal person, right? Uh, yeah, I get that SE may embarrass your TE, but that's just you. That's you believing that other people are thinking less of you when you make SE-related mistakes. That's not necessarily what's actually happening, right? It doesn't mean it's actually true. So for INFPs out there, if you're concerned that your SE trickster would embarrass your TE, uh, a lot of the times... Um, especially INFPs I've known, I've observed INFPs in like work environments and in, in a professional setting, we'll just say as an example, uh, the people don't really think less of INFPs that much, as much as the INFP believes. And that insecurity is mostly just them overcompensating for what they feel is a lack of reputation amongst, uh, you know, like reputation amongst their, um, their fellow coworkers in this example, right? And, and most of the time that perception is actually wrong. It's actually incorrect because SE trickster is not really aware of what other people are doing, right? Or the intention in terms of their uh, self-discipline. They're aware of the intent from an extroverted intuition metaphysical point of view, but in terms of like people actually having a, a pattern of behavior of bad, uh, you know, like, 
thinking less of the INFP basically and having those judgments, it's not necessarily true. So it's kind of an overcompensation. It's kind of an assumption on their part. And INFPs, because they have TI demon, it's not something they can verify. So what you have to do if you find yourself in that situation is find a TI user or an N or a, um, an STP or an NFJ specifically and ask them what they think about uh, your SE trickster and whether or not it's causing people to think less of you. And they will tell you and they'll, and, and they'll know, they'll know that they'll be able to logic it out. They have that social awareness that is aware of what other people feel and what they value, et cetera. And they'll be able to give you the feedback that you need as an INFP to be able to, you know, uh, traverse that, so. Beautiful. The next question is actually quite an interesting one. I've seen you talk about triple movement types, but this question is about what would a triple control type behave like? Control type. What would a control type behave like? I'm doing triple that. Control. I'm doing that ENTP multitasking by answering questions in the chat at the same time as you ask me questions. Uh, to Linda Nemery, I was referring to SE Trickster uh, and TE Inferior at the same time for INFPs to answer your question. Uh, so what is a control type? Wow, like feedback, that's dope. Like seriously, mute that person. And if you're coming to this channel, no. mute yourself. Uh, okay, uh, so what does a control type person look like? Is that the question? Uh, what would a triple control type behave like? Oh, <laughs> triple control. Okay, so that would be like an ENTJ. That's that's good. Um, I love ENTJs. It's funny because, like, if I was to actually say that ENTJs uh, drive like grandpas on the road, they'd probably get all ragey and just be like, "No, that's not true." Which is funny because I've actually driven, being driven around by ENTJs, and they're driving as fast as possible because they got, they just want to get to where they want to go, and they want to get there now. Because NI parent, SE child, I want to get there now, you know. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting like that. But triple control. I don't know. A lot of people get have to deal with the whole stereotype of like, "Ooh, this is control," and I don't want to be with a controlling person because if you're control, you're controlling. No, that's not true. Control has nothing to do with that. Control is more of like, how am I organizing my life? Right? It's about do I have processes? Do I have routines? You know, everything like to an ENTJ who is triple control, everything is a process. Everything has you know some kind of uh, routine or steps that need to go through to get from point A to point B. And uh, if there's any um, unplanned or uh, unplanned instances or additional stimuli that come in and then disrupt that flow, a whole new flow has to be built again. And because of that, they try to look into the future with their NI parent. Okay, I could see it in the future right now. And then as a result of seeing it in the future, I could predict what potentially could get in the way of my plans and my, uh, you know, my daily routine, et cetera, or what I'm going to be doing today. And then uh, put in little caveats on my plan to protect from being like thrown off completely. Right. So that's kind of how they would they would uh, behave in that regard. It's more of um, overcompensating uh, with their plans, processes, and routines, and organizing their life for the benefit uh, of making sure that they're not going to be like put off kilter 
score that they're that they're going to stay productive for the day uh, and whatnot. Again, it's just all about organizing because an ENTJ, especially anyone who's triple control, they go through life as in like, hey, I can't get progress in the midst of utter chaos. I have to have control of the situation. I have to reduce chaos as much as possible because if there's chaos everywhere, I'm not going to get anything done, right? Because ENTJs know, especially they're kind of like squirrels like that. It's like, ooh, what's this? And then they they know they're easily distractible. So they have to create a plan to reduce the amount of distractions that they have so that they can actually um so that they can actually, you know, get something done. But, you know, to other people, it comes off as over planning. It comes off as uh, as them being too controlling when the reality of the situation is they're not really that controlling. It just comes off that way. And all it, and it's not true. It's not true. Like much to the, the, the stereotype of ENTJs being too controlling, like that's bullshit. I'll tell you right now, that is not actually true. It, it, they have no intention of being too controlling. It's just for them, they have to keep things under control as much as they do. And they have to, you know, over plan in that regard, because they're trying to avoid being distracted and not being productive because they want to be productive because ENTJs, especially they kind of understand more than most people that they have a gun to their head when it comes to their time. Why is that? Because they have SI Trickster. SI Trickster is just not really aware of how much time passes by. They're literally those people, they get so focused on what they're doing, and then they look up at the clock and it's like, holy crap, five hours just went by. What the hell, man? You know, and they have that experience, right? So they have to be even more effective and more efficient with their planning. But of course, you know, third party people that looked at ENTJs think, you know, oh, well, they're they're too controlling. No, no, they're not. They're not too controlling. It's just they're compensating for their mental needs and stop labeling them as overly controlling. That's actually wrong. So don't do that. Right. Reminds me of a personal story of an ETJ saying five more minutes. But uh, yeah, I, I was actually present for that story. Good point. May you rest in peace. Uh, let's go on to the uh, next question. Now, this relates to the switching of your between your shadow and your subconscious with okay. use of substances. Okay. So do we switch from our ego to our subconscious or unconscious when we use alcohol slash drugs? Which side do we go? Okay. This really depends. And uh, there's a few different theories on it. Uh, and I also have my own anecdotal evidence. Uh, but typically stimulants put you in your subconscious and depressants put you into your shadow. Uh, that's generally the rule, but it's not always true. Why? Well, it's because what if you start using substances and you're already in your shadow? What if you're using substances and you're already, you know, in your subconscious, right? Uh, there's some additional dependencies that kind of change it from there. And there's some risk that can happen that could put you into your superego. Like, for example... Uh, this actually happened to an INFJ friend of mine, and uh, he mixed depressants with stimulants at the same time, and he ended up overdosing and dying in the middle of the night. That was very sad, and uh, I was at his memorial. Uh, but you can actually inadvertently activate your superego as well in those situations. Um, and uh, 
now this is a theory. Some people say that like blacking out in some cases when it comes to alcohol, especially with SPs blacking out, uh, that's more of a, a superego activation as a result of substance abuse as well. But I have not really seen any proof of that. Again, that's just all theory. And I would have to say that this area of study is mostly theory right now. We have some evidence about it, but it hasn't been like completely confirmed. So we just have this loose framework. It's just a loose framework, uh, theoretical framework that, you know, stimulants put you in your subconscious and then depressants put you in your shadow. And we use that as our loose framework from there. But otherwise, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not really... It's not really the same thing, et cetera. All right, what's next? All right, with the next question, we've got, do all fears stem from our inferior nemesis and critic function? For example, I was thinking about the fear of rejection and how one might look at their cognitive functions for ways to combat it. It sounds like an INTP asked this question. Um social anxiety, FE inferior question, uh, and FE inferiors, ISTPs and INTPs have the highest fear of rejection out of all of the types, um, with, uh, SE inferiors as second highest. So that would be INJs, which is interesting. Um, it's because they're afraid of giving people bad experience. Oh, I gave them a bad experience. I've been rejected or, uh, or they don't value me. I've been rejected. Right. Or they don't think highly of me. That's the fear of rejection of the, uh, the IN, uh, or the, uh, IFPs basically artists and dreamers. Uh, so give me the context of that question one more time. Cause I'm trying to like, I got caught up okay. in the type of the person asking the question. <laughs> okay, so what I believe the person is asking is, do our fears stem from our inferior nemesis and critic functions, and what do we, how can we, from a cognitive functions point, combat that fear of rejection? Yeah, no, it's it's the inferior function. A person's fear exists in their inferior function. A person's worry exists in uh, uh, their nemesis function, their fifth function. But then they're like, well, what's the difference between fear and worry, right? Well, there's actually huge differences. They're not synonymous contrary to popular belief uh, because I can be worried without actually being afraid because what am I worried about? Am I worried? Like, what's the context of the worry, right? The context of the worry changes, right? But the context of the fear also changes too, which is really important because that's how that's how the inferior function can turn into an aspirational function. When you actually recognize and see the opportunities as to why you are afraid, right? You can actually turn that into an opportunity, right? And that's what's called with aspiring uh, with an inferior function. Here's a great example. I knew this guy one time. Uh, he, uh, he lived in Yuba City uh, with me. He was a coworker uh, for a while. His name was Tim. Really cool dude really cool dude and uh he would uh he would just go up to random chicks at the bar and straight up ask them out just straight up doing like he would walk straight to them like wow i'm really attracted to that woman and just go beeline right to the woman and straight up ask him out and uh he wouldn't necessarily use pickup lines he'd be completely real about it completely 100 real about it he's like hey i saw you uh you're a very beautiful woman and uh i don't know i I, I just, I think you're really great. Uh, and I'd like to get to know you better. You know, would you like to go on a date with me? That's what he would do. 
He'd do it over and over and over and over and over. In fact, it was actually annoying. And in some cases, it became really embarrassing. And those of us that were with him, you know, as wingmen per se, it basically, we'd ended up having to leave the bar and go elsewhere, you know, for those of us in our group that wanted to get laid that night, right? So not that I recommend people get involved in illicit sex in that kind of bar culture anyway, because I don't recommend that. But apparently that's what my friends were into at the time. The point is he'd have a 50% close rate. Think about that. So half of the women that he would do that to, he'd get lucky, right? Or wasn't really luck. You know what I mean? Like 50% because he recognized that, uh, you know, failure builds character and he would fail consistently. So, yeah, he was afraid of rejection. He was an ISTP, so he was definitely afraid of rejection consistently. But he'd go up to him and he'd keep trying. And then after a while, he'd be like, he'd keep track of everything, every person that he'd ever uh, uh, go up to. You know, he'd put a date and timestamp down in, the, in his phone, actually, because he had an iPhone. He'd be keep tracking of this. And then he realized over time with his ESTJ unconscious, he was able to map it out. Like, oh, statistically speaking, I'm, uh, I've, uh, I've actually got a 65% close right now. So he got better at it, right? He got better at uh, what uh, um, RSD Tyler calls cold approach pickup basically. Uh, so the point is, when it comes to your fears and managing your fears and the inferior function, the only thing you could do is face your fears and recognize that if you fail, you know, then get over yourself because at least you're gaining the wisdom as a result of the failure. Be okay with failure. You need to seek failure because failure is the best teacher. There's more value in failure than there is success technically if you think about it, because if you're getting success over and over and over and over and over again, you're going to find yourself in a, in a situation where it's just like, really, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's like you, you start expecting things, you stop growing. It's just not going to be as effective with you. So, you know, instead just develop the skill. Right. And that's all you have to do, you know, be okay with failure. That helps you get over the fear. And then as ever, after you got more and more practice with your inferior function, then boom, you're good to go. Now, let's use an example from my life. I have SI inferior. SI inferior is uh, it's what I call the it's what I call the little bitch function uh, because uh, when 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 me you know being a, a little bitch uh, back in the day. Uh, I would just be stuck with my own comfort zone, right? Because that's all my SI inferior cared about. Uh, I nowadays, you know, after reaching manhood and whatnot and having an epiphany and beginning uh, and completing my rite of passage in Vegas. And uh, after I completed that uh, rite of passage, I was able to, you know, force myself through self-discipline because, you know, introverted sensing is about discipline, right? It's not about willpower. It's about discipline. You force yourself to do things, right? It's all about what I should do. And I realized that I should force myself to do things, even if I'm not comfortable with doing it. I forced myself out of my comfort zone. And you know what? I'd fail. I would fail over and over and over. And I did this everywhere in my life. I did this at the gym. That was annoying. In fact, I actually injured myself. Bad decision, right? Well, I was able to go to the chiropractor, get that fixed. And then I learned a valuable lesson. You know what I mean? To never do that again. And then I actually started teaching people how to do form properly at the gym. And then it ended up being better, right? Uh, I, uh, I did that with dating. That was interesting. I, for a period of six months, actually, I dated over 40 women, right? Uh, although like I didn't sleep with them, but please I teach me, senpai. please, please teach me. 
Fair enough. Although, mute that guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I will actually be doing a lecture uh, in the future about uh, proper dating techniques. Um, that'll be coming in a human nurture series in the future, well past season 13. Um, so we'll be talking about that and some tools that can be used. And it's not about manipulation or being a pickup artist. It's actually about creating or becoming your most genuine self and knowing who to interact with and who not to interact with for the best possible results. Optimization of dating, but that's down the road. Uh, so yeah, uh, the point is aspiration. You have to aspire with your inferior function. So you just force yourself to do it over and over and over again until you finally get all the information that you need through learning and then you're amazing at it. And this is why, uh, you know, people like who have SI inferior, you know, if they just keep giving themselves more and more and more and more experiences, the better they get. And guess what? The more experience you have in the past through introverted sensing, the more you're able to predict the future with expert intuition because all that has happened before will happen again. SI versus NE, and they're linked together in an equilibrium with each other, and one empowers the other, right? So my predictability uh, to be able to predict the future, my prescience, right, also known as expert intuition, is actually stronger and able to see more alternative futures at once for other people, even myself. It's like a shotgun, et cetera, going out multiple paths in all directions, all because I have that one fixed point of origin, which is my introverted sensing, right? And that introverted sensing, the more I have there in that fixed point of origin, the more I'm able to predict outwardly right? But that's expert intuition. Introvert intuition is completely different. It's actually about observing what other people do, seeing multiple points of origin already existing in material reality. And then, okay, I see all those multiple points of origin. I see all those patterns. And then you're able to uh, kind of like a Death Star laser, multiple lasers come into one and then shoot up with one ideal possible path, the best path that that one person wants to take for themselves. That's introvert intuitions so was different. But anyway, I digress. Next question. Beautiful. Uh, do SE users have the tendency to be single-minded, more single-minded than NE, or at least appear that way? Uh, is SE more sing, uh, single-minded? SE users more single-minded than NE users, or at least appear that way? It just looks that way. That's not true. Uh, now, we haven't talked about this, but uh, in the season I'm doing right now, talking about uh, how... Uh, like, you know, definitions and how to use the type grid a lot better. Um, my next one's going to be control versus movement for those of you waiting. Uh, I think that's literally my next lecture that I'm going to be filming. Uh, but shortly after that, we're going to be talking about concrete versus abstraction. And concrete and abstraction has nothing to do with being uh, open-minded or closed-minded per se, because even abstract people can be closed-minded, uh, definitely. And then concrete people can be open-minded uh it's just that you know sjs are more typically focused on you know okay well what's what has happened and they base everything based on the tradition of their memory basically in the in the collective memory as it were you know of people around them and because they're very critical towards it or they worry about it and they care about that safety which is why they create policy as a majority right to be and to you know in systems and and social norms for the the way that we live our life that the rest of us have to adhere to for the most part but that really only applies to sj nations or sj cultures not every culture is like that if you live in aussie land like somebody I know currently in this channel, <clears throat> uh, 
you know, it's an SP society, so it's completely different. But no, there's no, I know some insanely open-minded uh, ISFPs. It's because they're trying to develop any trickster and they're like, oh, any trickster. And then they're like far out, man, and they do psychedelics and they think they've had these amazing metaphysical experiences. And it's really cute to watch, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> when, when that happens, it's just like, well, you know, uh, I'm glad you're so open-minded, bro. <laughs> you know, <laughs> excuse me while I take another bong hit. Anyway, <laughs> All right, next question. How would you motivate an INTP who is not motivated enough to finish tasks like homework and essays? Uh, I'd probably threaten them, or I would, uh, <laughs> I would make them as uncomfortable as possible. I basically have to force them to do things. Like, here's the thing. I was just talking about introverted sensing inferior a minute ago, and I forced myself to do things. I do my best work when there's a gun to my head. Like, I do my best work when that pressure is on. And NTPs, this is how we, we are. When that pressure is on, when, you're on, when you have hit rock bottom or you know you're about to hit rock bottom unless you take immediate action, that's when the 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 mastery comes out super quick and it and it is an amazing experience and it could definitely go pretty far uh but yeah that's that's how i would motivate an intp taking taking an intp to uh, a tony robbins conference uh that's not going to go over very well because the intp the entire time would be like this guy is stupid. And I, I'm not even kidding. Like, it, it, <laughs> just like, uh, no, you know, it, it would not be a, a proper waste of time or the INTP be like, well, at least the food's good. You know what I mean? Or cause that's my child. Right. But it's just not going to work. out. No, no motivating. It's all about forcing them. Anyway, go ahead. Next question. Is there a way they can motivate themselves? Just as an extension on that question. Yes, self-discipline. They need to learn self-discipline, and ways to learn self-discipline. Uh, time them with tasks and keep track of like little self competitions or uh, learn martial arts. In fact, my uncle, who is an INTP, uh, to, when he, what got him motivated is that he earned himself a black belt in a martial art, and he's very good. And uh, it really helped him with his own personal growth, and it helped him develop. Uh, uh, self-discipline uh to be able to do um to be able to go further another thing also because of their fe inferior if you explain to them that if they don't move their ass that they're actually harming other human beings they'll be guilted into doing something that's another way to motivate them motivate them motivating them by guilt although that can be manipulative so be careful if you're doing that uh because eventually if they if they believe that they're being manipulated that manipulated they'll go into their uh their FE inferior will go demon, demon mode with FI uh, demon. And then they'll like, you know, well, if I'm going to do the time, I may as well do the crime. Right. And you're basically going to get completely owned by the INTP. Not recommended. Stick to with making them uncomfortable. Anyway, next question. All right. Now, this question is a bit ambiguous because I'm not sure if it's referring to physical health or mental health. But it says, do some functions correlate to health? Do some functions correlate to health? No. I mean, I mean, mean sometimes. Well, okay. I mean, you could make you can make some arguments for and against that. Like, for example, SI demon with INJs, you know, typically makes them physically more unhealthy, and they are more likely to receive uh, the rarest possible diseases known to man, and those unknown to man more than any other type statistically speaking, but they're also statistically speaking able to survive them more than anybody else as well. 
because of NI Hero. They're just able to find a path through it or literally will themselves through those situations. I've seen it happen multiple times. Like my uncle, for example, he's an INFJ and, uh, you know, they pulled out this like baseball shaped blood clot from his heart and he should have died, but he still survived anyway. And they can't even figure out what the hell is wrong with him, but you know, he's still living and it's like, wow, you should not be alive. And he's like, I know I'm glad I am. And I'm like, me too. You know? So that's just, yeah. As, as, as Stefania 11 says here in the chat where there's a will, there's a way damn right about that. It's what I love about INJs. It's awesome. Next question. All right, this this one's going to hit a bit close to home for you. How do you, how do you better use SIs and ENTP so that it helps with self-actualization and productivity? Uh, do I just try and shock myself into my shadow functions and bank on my ability to enter a more INTJ-like state of mind? There, there is actually some, uh, there is actually some good to uh, practice with going into an INTJ state of mind. Um, but I only was able to develop that skill as a result of trauma in my life. Uh, whereas most people develop that through drug use, which I would not recommend at all. You do not want to be an alcoholic. Let's be honest. That's just irresponsible and no one will, will respect you. I lose respect for you. So no, don't do that. But, um, when it comes to, uh, utilizing your shadow, it just takes practice. Get over your worry. That's all it is. The gateway function, just stop being worried about your own personal future as an ENTP. And uh, then you'll actually find yourself able to be more organized and use tools, use memory tools. I know that ENTPs just think that they can remember everything. And yeah, yes, they kind of can. But having memory tools as well and using memory tools uh, like uh, Evernote, for example, or Trello, uh, it really can like double if not triple your productivity which actually is you practicing using your intj shadow as far as si inferior is concerned we already talked about that it's just you have to be not afraid of failure and self-discipline but i already talked about that tonight next question okay in terms of mbti what does narcissism the cluster b personality disorder imply yeah i mean i'm not gonna answer that question I mean, if that was like a big five question, I might answer it. But then I'd be like, no, I'm not going to answer that because it's big five. So, <laughs> no, like it's too it's too stereotypical. It's just like it's just like ENTJs, you know, are being too controlling. Right. I'm not I'm not even going to go there. No, thank you. Next. Okay. How can an INFP get some values or figure out of their values? OK, uh, great question. Uh, the answer is very simple read that's that's it yeah literally read uh go to a library and read as much as you can about values and philosophy uh start start with greek philosophy do Taoist philosophy uh do confucianism uh do philosophy everywhere just just read about it constantly uh you can even get a personal philosophy through reading confessions of an economic hitman if you want uh which right. i'm literally like two or three pages away from finishing that book myself. So the point is read. The answer to that question is read. So next question. Next question. What do you think about Enneagram? Uh, I already answered this question like the first question of the night. Um, Okay. Looks like there was a double. Yeah. Next. All right. Let's go on to the next one. Where does the four sides of the mind concept come from, specifically the connection to types and flipping the functions and the shadow and all that? So flipping, um, okay, four sides of the mind, uh, 
that information is not publicly available yet. Uh, it will be publicly available in the future, um, but is not publicly available yet. And I am not able to comment on that. But what I know about it is based on, um, like I have permission to talk about it basically. Uh, now, if there are some other psychologists out there that has like discovered the four sides of the mind or whatnot, because they had the idea at the same time as those that, uh, you know, who brought it to my attention and, uh, taught me on it and then we practiced it together, et cetera. Okay, fair enough. I mean, fine, but uh, I don't think so. I really don't think so because this was something that came around years ago. Uh, but in terms of the uh, the cognitive functions and, and, and inversing, uh, I believe Linda Barron slightly touched on it and I believe Dr. John Beebe also touched on it pretty thoroughly as well. Um, although I'm rereading all of Linda Barron's again right now, and I might reread Dr. John Beebe as well after the fact. So hopefully that answers that question. Next question. Yeah. Uh, the next question is, what does N.E. Trickster look like? N.E. Trickster looks like someone being completely unaware that other people have intentions. They're so focused on their own personal intentions and what they want, they're not even remotely aware that other human beings may want something. So easily manipulated? Uh, they can be easily manipulated, yes. Um, and that's why I, pre I prefer to have any trickster types, which are ISTPs and ISFPs, paired up with SJs because the SJs will protect them. Because SJs are naturally skeptical towards the intentions of other people. Uh, and uh, that would... Uh, so like ISTJs or ISF... Well, any of the SJs, basically. But uh, yeah... So that's what I would okay. suggest to them. NFPs would work too, but it's better to to have the SJs for that. All right. Um, do all twins share the same personality type? Is there a probability percentage, or can it be just random? Uh, well, we in the last Q and A in the last Q and A session we did the inaugural one, I explained the theory about how type actually manifests in a child. In which case, the answer to that question is, in this context, is that they uh, um, they they could be different. Like, there's they're not going to be the same. They could be the same. I actually have met twins that were the same once. That was freaky. But I've met twins that are also different. So, perfect. Uh, may you get more in depth with how the gateway functions work to be more specific, what they are, how they operate, how or what activates them, what may even force their activation or rather FPS in those functions. I touched on this in my lecture, uh, the cognitive transitions or how or what the cognitive transitions are. Uh, I'm going to be going more in depth on cognitive transitions and the gateway functions in a in an upcoming uh, lecture series, and I don't want to spoil that content, so I'm not going to answer that question. Other than say, at a minimum, watch that lecture. I am getting to it. So, next question. Beautiful. What is your thoughts on cognitive behavioral therapy in using it as a mechanism in tapping into using our unconscious mind? Uh. I mean, I don't really care for it. I mean, it could be useful, but I mean, 
I think it's just as therapeutic for people to do things that they haven't done things before to get out of their rut, to get out of what they're used to. I like that's that's akin to like taking someone who needs a rite of passage, for example, unwillfully out of their rut and then throwing them in a country uh, without any support. And they don't even speak the language and see if they survive. Right. And that and then they do survive and it becomes this amazing rite of passage. And then they're like this whole new human being as a result. Right. That would be an example of that doing. It really comes down to rite of passage. And that is the kind of actual therapy that uh, the majority of our race is missing nowadays, especially in uh, first world culture. That would be how I'd answer that. Next question. Okay. Now, I'm, I think you might have answered this before. Are there any books you recommend for us or any that you're looking into at the moment that revolves around cognitive psychology? Uh, yeah i keep getting asked that question and i'm sorry that i keep avoiding answering that question but there's a reason for that uh i am actually going to be posting that on my website very soon every book that i have read and all of the books that i recommend as well as the books that i'm reading now if people want to read with me all of that will be made available very soon uh, otherwise, uh, I did talk about books that I have done in the recent, uh, it's not out yet, but the Grimerica podcast with Dr. Robert Glover. I was on that uh, podcast uh, streaming live uh, with Dr. Robert Glover, who wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy, and we talked about books for a good segment towards the end of that episode. That's probably the only place where that is somewhat known, uh, but the rest of the list and everything else will be posted on my website soon. Uh, in process, thank you for your patience. Next question. Perfect. I am curious how an INFJ can keep SI demon from destroying their own progress when they're pressured by external and internal sources to continue growing and achieving. Ask that again. I am curious how an INFJ can keep SI demon from destroying their own progress when they're pressured by external and internal sources to continue growing and achieving. Okay, so just get the losers out of your life. Like seriously, get away from people. <laughs> like seriously, just get away from people. And if that means you have to door slam your own family, then do it. Door slam your own family and move on. Like seriously, if you're underage and can't do that, great get a job if you can't get a job then get a hobby like go like join soccer or uh like football for those that are european and, or everywhere else actually gosh i don't know why america right. has to name it soccer for whatever reason instagram post on that get the losers out of your life just get the losers out of your life yeah and if you if you can't get rid of them by getting a job find something to do like you could definitely do something to get yourself away from those people and get around people who actually are supporting you so that your sid one doesn't activate improperly right and no if you if you're stuck in those situations where your freedom is being inhibited and no one cares about the experience that you're giving to them and whatnot and you have no choice yeah definitely do the nuclear option activate your istj demon and reset your life and then move on afterwards and grow fly be free and be an, a mature human being etc next question what if culture is a result of nature what if the culture of what we have in america derives from the nature of europeans um no i mean culture impacts nature but only does it like kind of like so you have nature and it's plato right or putty you know just plato and then 
all of a sudden uh, nurture comes in and forms it around, but it's still nurture. It's still a substance in of its own right, basically. Uh, culture and nurture can affect nature, but it's not the end all be all. It doesn't define it at the end of the day. Nature will be what nature is. So next question. Okay. Now, somebody asked, why is INTP one of your favorite types, even with the proclivity to negative tendencies that stunt development? Uh, because I find them very enjoyable and kindred spirits. Uh, and they have dealt the with camaraderie. The, yeah, camaraderie. They've dealt with the same pains and frustrations and issues that I have in my life as well as an NTP. And in a lot of cases, INTPs have it a lot worse in... Uh, in first world society than ENTPs do. And it's mostly because they're seen as these people who are stuck in the basement all the time playing video games and not actually being productive when in reality, they're just trying to hide from the fact that the world hates them so much and is automatically like auto labeling them as autistic when in reality, that's not actually true. You know, it, it's just, it's just their personality and their personality, who they are is literally being attacked by society as we know it in those cases. And it creates additional social anxiety on top of that, right? When they already have social anxiety by default because of FE inferior, you know, it's just unfair. So they have a very unfair break compared to most of the other types. You know, SJs, they basically get a free pass in the United States of America. And SPs kind of like a ha have a half a pass. And then, you know, you have a quarter pass with some of the intuitives, whereas you get sometimes with no pass. And that's where, you know, INTPs are amongst the types that have no pass, basically. Uh, so they end up getting the real short end of the stick, and it's unfair. So I do my best to advocate for them and protect them whenever possible. Even though sometimes they're very annoyed by me as a as a fellow NTP, we can't exactly have a face to face relationship, but we definitely can have a shoulder to shoulder relationship. Anyway, next question. How can you deal with the INTP's vice, apathy, on an individual level without the factor of other human beings involved? Um well, if you have to get direct, you have to be direct with them and go up to them and be like, okay, you're ignoring me right now, so I'm going to go over here and just do your own thing. And if you can't handle it, move on. Like, seriously, just move on. Like, if you're in a romantic relationship and your INTP is being apathetic, you have to ask yourself the question, do I deserve it? Yes or no? And they always recognize that the possibility exists. And this is me being any hero. You know, the possibility always exists that you might actually be wrong. So at least, you know, have a conversation with them. But if you're not, if you're actually actively trying to have that conversation with them and they're still not willing to have that conversation with them, that gives you the right to door slam them and move on. Like, seriously, move on. Uh, let them remain apathetic because they're willfully choosing to be apathetic and there's nothing that you can do to stop that. So you may as well just be moving on at that point. The only other thing that you could do is make them uncomfortable uh, to, to try to elicit a response. But even then, that can be dangerous and that can actually lead to uh, their demon activating as well if it's done uh, poorly. So not exactly something I would recommend. Next question. How does the superego work? Uh, we've already talked about that tonight. Next question. Perfect. What is your opinion of Michael Pierce's method slash content? I don't even know who that is, uh, so I can't answer that question. Next question. Can there be any chance that Generation Z has more intuitives than senses? 
yes, that is possible. As culture changes, uh, the nurture changes, which can affect uh, how people's uh, egos form when they are, are post-adolescent, basically. So yes, it is technically possible. Not likely, but it is technically possible. And I think there was some studies done uh, like about Amazonian tribes and their types. Um, I read this like three or four years ago. I don't even remember where I read it. Uh, it might have been on – it was just on some blog. I don't even – I can't even verify it. But they're saying that certain tribes in the Amazon had more intuitives than they did have sensors basically in certain cases. And uh, like like it was um, – than what they would expect, right? So it was almost it was almost 50-50 in that regard. And I thought that was really interesting. But – I, I I don't remember and I can't produce that study or that blog post right now to actually talk about that further. I wish I could. I I knew in those days I should have been keeping track a lot more about my research in those days, but maybe someone can produce it. I don't know. Next question. Do you think some types are more susceptible to being triggered into the superego slash stuck in certain sides of the mind? Can you ask that question? Uh, yeah, ask that question again. Do you think some personality types are more susceptible to being triggered into their superego or stuck in certain sides of their mind? Yes, uh, I would say so, yes. Uh, some of the more unpopular types like NTPs uh, or NTJs, um, NTs, I guess you could say. Uh, also, um, this is going to sound weird, but ISFPs have to deal with that too. Uh, there's a little bit of ISFP persecution in some cases, and uh, INFPs deal deal with it as well. Uh, ENFPs not so much at the start, but later in their life they could probably get that way, which can be an issue. Um, it, it just it just really depends what their maturity level is, what their uh, what their uh, their nurture is in that regard. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, some types, there's just more bias against them than others. And there's not much I can do to change about that other than educate people about type and that, hey, this, there's this thing that exists and it kind of is like telepathy on paper if you know it well enough, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that's where that's coming from. How many questions are left on your list? Eh, about another 30 to 35. Do you want to blitz through them? Uh, let's do... Um, Let's do a few. Let's do three more minutes of those questions, and I want to focus on some of the questions actually in the YouTube chat. Um, after that, okay. yeah. What kind of goals or tasks does each type usually procrastinate to start slash finish? That's like an insanely huge question. I mean, I could okay. lecture on that for hours. Yeah, actually, mark mark that mark that for a lecture series to be created out of that for later. Uh, so, like like literally like literally copy and paste that and then send that to my other Discord account and say like uh -huh. yeah, make a lecture series on this. All right, next question. Perfect. All right. Um, do you have to actually like yourself to proceed down the path of four pillars, etc.? Is it is that going to change as a result of going through the process or will not liking yourself make it through the process and make the process fruitless? 
the answer to that question is no, you do not have to like yourself. Uh, I went through the four pillars as a matter of necessity and not actually because I liked myself. Although it's interesting that the result of going through that necessity of going through the four pillars of self-intimacy that I ended up liking myself after the fact. It was like a byproduct of the whole thing. Did I like myself going through it? No. Did I do it because I absolutely had no choice? Yeah, it was either it was either like, you know, you find yourself in that situation between a rock and a hard place. I mean, uh, some people be like, well, the alternative is if you're in the ditch and you've hit rock bottom, there's only two decisions. Get back up or put a bullet in your head. You know what I mean? So it, it was done out of necessity. It had nothing to do with me liking myself at the time. Of course, that's kind of biased coming from me because I have FI Trickster as an ENTP, if you know what I mean. But still, I think the I think that applies to everyone in, in some regard. Although that's also kind of an assumption, and I recognize that. But TE critics sue me. Uh, next question. How does SE Trickster manifest itself? How does SE Trickster manifest itself? Uh, like, how does it behave? Um, well, I guess, like, how can you tell if someone has SE Trickster? What typical behaviors do they exemplify? They have like horrible fashion sense and they drop things all the time and they're just they just seem so oblivious to things happening around them because they're in often la la land kind of. That would be how I would describe it. Uh um let's do one more question and then we're gonna switch to YouTube chat uh YouTube uh chat questions. Um and then uh we'll do uh if there's more time, then we'll definitely go back to your list there, um Jab. So what what's the next question? All right. Let's go with, do the MBTI types have different levels of tolerance to stress? Yes. Yes. The answer to that question is yes, but only in certain contexts. Uh, so the context, um, so when you talk about people who claim they are highly sensitive persons, which basically is INFPs, you know, but INFJs would be like, well, I'm a highly sensitive person too. No, you're technically not. You're only being highly sensitive on behalf of somebody else, right? Or on behalf of society or on behalf of some external human being or group of human beings is why you're highly sensitive, but you're not actually highly sensitive per se, because that's FE parent, SE inferior, whereas someone who is actually highly sensitive would be an NFP or an ENFP or an INFP especially, right? So uh, I would say that, uh, I would say that, ISTJs, uh, ESTJs, INFPs, and ENFPs are the most sensitive out of the types, and uh, for sure. Um, but the thing is also SI parents and SI heroes can endure the most. They can endure the most stress. They can they can persevere more so than anyone else can actually uh, with stuff that they have to deal with in life. That's not to say that uh, other SI users like, uh, you know, INTPs and ENTPs can't, but they have more endurance capability. So, all right. Uh, so I guess we're going to switch to uh, the other things. Um, Jab, do you want to scroll to the very top of the YouTube chat and then just start going down for all the question marks? See if we can get okay. to the bottom. All right. Uh, let's go with Keenan Jones. How do I, as an INTJ, get out of my rut of not utilizing my skills of planning and moving forward with my plans and stop living such an unstructured day-to-day -day life. Yeah. The, uh, I get that question a lot. I actually coached an INTJ recently about uh, how uh, they were 
not able to actually get a proper sleeping schedule and they were like this insane night out and it's like well yeah it's because you don't have si users in your life because si users typically keep a uh, sleeping schedule because they can't handle the experience the si experience of being tired the next day so my my, my answer was uh get a roommate who is an si user was what i told them so that they can have their model their sleeping schedule with with that person's sleeping schedule uh exactly exactly yeah and right. you're using a third party basically to kind of be a, a boundary with which you can behave to help you do that and that's just one example um all right but yeah i mean yeah intj cheat codes yeah well i mean i wish there was a god mode one that would give you blonde hair and glowing <laughs> eyes from doom 2 but we don't have that right. yeah that's too bad unfortunately yeah i'd be the first one to use it yeah i uh i uh put a note in that for me to do a lecture on that actually um that's very lecture worthy so i'll i'll do a lecture on that one um yep cool uh next question would an INFP child change in type while growing up, or would he stay the same? Say again? Would an INFP child change in type while growing up, or would he stay the same? Uh, they could change while growing up, and we explained how that change happens in my first Q&A session. I actually go into depth about that theory as to how that works mechanically, and I will be doing additional uh, lecture series about that process in the very near future. I think it's like maybe five or six lectures from now. We'll see. So uh, I recommend you watch the Ignoring Girl Q&A um, lecture video live stream recording where I actually talk about that and I actually whiteboard it out uh, in how that process works it has to do with your quadras and it has to do whether or not you have certain trauma or if you get stuck in your shadow before or after your adolescence, etc. So it's actually pretty deep. It gets pretty deep. Next question. All right. This question comes from Stephen Carpenter. If both parents are responding or both initiating, are their children more likely to be the same? Uh, no. Uh, so <laughs> take 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 my children my children are both responding and their parents are both initiating right or you could do uh my parents who one's responding one's initiating and uh they had two initiating children right so the answer is no there's uh, there's a lot more factors in there and again like i just said go watch the <laughs> inaugural q a session it will have uh it will have a um, basically a um, you know the uh, how how a child's cognition manifests through through like when they're born to how they age, etc. So next question. All right, this question comes from Valentina Belovsky, which I believe is a female, because that might be relevant to the question. Now the question is, what is a reason that an ENFP might have trouble getting a date? and or getting people interested in them despite already maintaining physical appearance? Wow, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I actually coached somebody recently on this exact question. Uh, well, um, it really depends on who you're trying to attract. Uh, ENFP women, kind of have this problem like for example i had this enfp uh co-worker uh when i worked at the hospital right she um 
she used to weigh like, let's say 250 pounds. She was gigantic. And then she had plastic surgery done. And then uh, she decided to get her boobs done. And she like went way over the top because that's classic TE child with their boob jobs. They go so way over the top. It's like, it's like not, it's, it's obnoxious. Um, like so obnoxious when you look at her tits, you're like, wow, I'm literally suffocating right now just by looking at her rack. You know what I mean? And, and ENFPs, uh, especially like ENFP women, they, they go over the top sometimes uh you know with with how they dress and they respond to the men who uh cat call them for example in bar situations and uh that's fine and dandy for attracting man children but if you want to attract non-man children you know men don't typically go for the women that actually respond to you know people who are cat calling i'm not saying this particular enfp is cat calling but the one that i was uh um responding to cat calling, for example, but the one I was coaching definitely was. And um, it was a humbling experience for her. And uh, basically, she's dressing based on what she believes or what she thinks other men in general are interested in, right? So you don't want to do that. You don't want to dress for them that way. You don't want to behave in a certain way for, for, for those men in general that you're looking for, because you're trying to categorize men in this interesting way and label them in a certain way and assuming that they have these certain behaviors about them that you're looking for. That's not how it works. So what I would rec what I recommended to this ENFP was, okay, here's what you do. Realize that you're compatible the most with NJs, right? So you need to find NJs. And specifically, it would be best if you found NFJs. And you need to, you know, stylize your dress and stylize your behavior and make those decisions based on what is attractive to NFJs, right? And uh, you want to uh, allow men to, uh, you, like an ENFJ, you want to give them the opportunity to initiate with you. Or you need to tell uh, INFJs, hey, you make me really comfortable, and then they will actually desire to initiate with you, right? That's the thing about ENFPs, uh, especially ENFP women. They think that they can initiate with other men that they like or that they fancy when the reality of the situation is they kind of can't. They actually have to be more responding. They have to be more responding because expert intuition – hero has this problem of having se demon and se demon can actually put off other people and it could be really annoying to them it's not something i would recommend uh, it, it, and this is why uh like uh, enp men come off as creeperish you know or cringy because of se demon because we just give off this negative experience to other people when we're initiating with them especially in the bar scene it's like the most annoying thing in the world and i didn't actually get any remotely successful in dating as an entp for example because i also have se demon until i just stopped initiating with people i just stopped i just straight up stopped all i did was i went up i sat at the bar playing on my phone or I brought some work with me. I did some work. I ordered dinner. I put my work away. I was still playing on my phone. And then just women would come up to me and offer me to buy drinks. That's literally what would happen from her point of view with men in this bar situation. They would basically offer to buy her drinks because she's not the one initiating with them. She dresses specifically to attract NFJs in that, in that situation. Uh, you know, somewhat comfy, not completely over the top because NFJs like being the ones who are over the top. You know, and they they want an ENFP that's more like modest, more earthy oriented and not so pizzazz. Right. Even though e ENFPs have this pizzazzy um, zany charm about them, but it's more like let go of the zany 
you can have the charm, but let go of the zany. You're not trying to dress like a siren because if you dress like a siren, that's not going to go well. So please read The Art of Seduction by uh, Robert Greene. And you want to kind of behave like a – you don't really want to be a dandy. You don't want to be a siren. Uh, I would recommend going in the direction of a coquette or a direction of uh, the natural um, would probably be the the seductive uh, recommendation I would do for uh, attracting NFJs basically in that situation. So, uh, yeah. Uh, next question. Give me a second. I lost where I was. Uh, how can an INTJ gain more confidence in spite of constantly being misunderstood? Um, this would basically practice being informative because sometimes people don't like how direct INTJs are. So you have to force yourself to provide additional context in how you're communicating with people. Uh, and uh, be direct at first gauge their reaction. And if it kind of seems like they're not responding to you or reacting to you the way that you're hoping, or it doesn't seem like they're getting a good experience, then restate what you just said, but add additional context to it. And then they understand and they have additional understanding and then, okay, you're not in that situation. So that's how I would uh, answer that question. Next, next question. All right. I'm pretty sure the answer to this question is 44 or 42, but the question is, what is the meaning of life? Uh, the meaning of life is to uh, gain as much wisdom as possible. And you could do this by uh, learning through your own failures, the failures of others. SE users learn best uh, with the failures of others, more so than they do with their own failures. Uh, and SI users learn best with their own failures and not so much uh, the failures of others. That's how I would answer that question. Next question. TE inferior is social anxiety too, right? <laughs> Question mark? TE inferior, it can be a form of social anxiety, uh, but it's more of like they're concerned about their reputation. They're not so concerned about how other people value them, right? That's the difference. So, all right, next question. Okay. Okay. Um, let me just scroll through this. It's mostly comments. Uh, Zero in on them question he, marks. Is he answering the questions we're leaving here? Yes, he is right now. <laughs> so leave a question if you're still in the chat. Yeah, so just so you know, um, we only have uh, 12, 10 minutes of time left. So, What's your view on Eric's new video on you? Oh, Eric. Oh, yes. Host Eric with Talking with Famous People. Um, I watch it and uh i'm just like eh i could respond but i'm not going to because i don't really want to i mean i've already stated my case and i've already put everything i've put into my lectures on it but it really comes down to a difference as to what uh introvert intuition and extrovert intuition is that's how i would define it like for example a uh, youtube user named ali b commented about how i don't understand introvert intuition or extrovert intuition and they did this on the Frank James YouTube channel because Frank James actually mentioned me in one of their uh, one of his lectures or one of his videos that he did, and uh, which I really appreciated him doing that. I, I felt honored by him doing that. Um, but uh, Ali basically explained to Mr. James that I don't know the difference between introvert intuition and expert intuition. So let me just spell it out for everybody what that basically means. 
Introverted intuition is when a human being chooses the best or ideal path forward for themselves, okay? Whereas extrovert intuition is about choosing or being aware of all of the potential paths. And then, you know, they could choose which one they're, you know, they, they want, or they could actually tell other people about those, the things about those possible futures or those possibilities, um, you know, for them. And it and they don't necessarily have to choose that specific future possibility for themselves per se, because they're just aware of like all of the possibilities. The difference is, is that the range is shorter. So expert intuition is like a shotgun. It goes in all directions, but the BBs, you know, it's short range whereas introvert intuition is like a sniper rifle you can find the best path forward it's what you want and that's and one of the uh, uh, the byproducts of that is it, it comes off as having a huge amount of willpower right uh, whereas expert intuition is just like it's aware of all of the will it's the collective will the collective what if basically whereas um, you know it's like it's what it's what if we is expert intuition whereas introvert intuition is what if I Right. That's 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 the difference. And what fuels introverted intuition, the what if I is basically all of the points of origin that they gather with experted sensing. They're like, oh, I see what you're doing over there. Yeah, I want to do that. That's introverted intuition or it's like, I see what you guys want to do, but I'm not sure I want to do that. So I'm going to go this way. That's expert intuition, introverted sensing. I'm not sure that's an experience that I want to have, basically. Right. Or this way. Um I had this one experience and that problem that you're telling me about right now, I, I, I actually, I actually solved that problem. I had a really great experience and this is what I did. And I'd say what I did. And they're like, you want to do that. Okay. That's introverted sensing, providing data for expert intuition. You want to do this because I did this because I had success here. You want to do this. That's extrovert intuition fueled by introverted sensing. Introverted intuition is the opposite. It's like, Hey, I see what you're doing over there. Now I want to do it. Right. That's that's the difference. And for some reason, uh, they think I'm an ENTJ, at least host Eric does not Ali B, for example. And I'm not ragging on Ali B anyway, in her point of view. I'm, I appreciate that she actually put that up there because I'm actually going to respond to it. Um, but uh, but uh, Eric Strauss's point of view about me, I mean, it is what it is. I can't I can't help him that he's incorrect in this area and I'm not going to continue arguing my point. I don't need to. I mean, if if he spent a lot more time watching all of my lectures, because I have over 120 lectures up. Right. And uh, they you can't just cherry pick one out. And that's just the whole thing. You actually have to watch a lot of them to get the entire narrative. And then after you understand the entire narrative, because that's very extroverted intuition of me, then you understand that, yes, I am actually am an ENTP, not an ENTJ. Although there's even a higher argument that I would be an INTJ, but I'm not because, again, I'm informative and initiating and, yeah, whatever. Anyway, next question. Right. Okay. This comes from Valentina Belostiki again, which was the one that gave you the previous question about ENFPs and dating. She's okay. asking, is there a particular reason ESTP males like and are good at leading on ENFP females? Or is that just part of how they do that to everyone? Uh, it's part of how they do it to everyone, actually. Uh, but ENFPs tickle their fancy in some insane ways. And like the ESTPs, like literally imagining consistently with the super hot, attractive ENFP that they're with of just doing doggy style on her the entire time during their date. Like that's literally probably like probably hit their mind like 20 times. Let's be honest. <laughs> but, uh, but no, really, uh, 
they they they're very uh, they're very lured to uh enfps um it's kind of like flies to a bug zapper uh they're just super attracted to them because they're very eclectic they're kind of original they're not something that you see commonly amongst other women and uh they also like how uh you know they're just able to work a crowd and you know manipulate the thoughts of other human beings around them and then bring up the reputation and uh it's just it they just feel like it's that one thing that's missing you know from them as whatnot it's very enigmatic and they really like having that relationship it kind of gives them um you know they're able to um like they really love the reaction that an enfp woman would give them because ESTPs have SE hero. They constantly get off by the reactions that they give to others. Like, especially in a bedroom situation, imagine those two in the bedroom, you know, the, the ENF, you'd be like, Oh, that's so nice. You know? And then the ESTP is like, yeah, see, I told you it'd be really nice, you know? And that's how they're getting off on it. Cause it's like, I'm giving you an experience and your reactions, to the experience I'm giving you is what's making me as horny as possible. Right. Where it's the other way around for the ENFP. It's like, you know, because you're giving this, this experience and I'm your open canvas to you, etc. You know, I, I finally feel fulfilled by you, you know, because SE hero is able to hit that SI uh, inferior, like super crazy quick, you know? So, uh, and, and, and like, it's like, um, it's almost like it's crushed by the weight of it. And the SI inferior loves to have that experience as a result for the most part. The problem is though, is that ESTPs have this failure to commit because they're afraid that they're going to want the wrong thing. Cause they're like, yes, I definitely want the ENFP right now. I want this ENFP chick, but I mean, is she going to, is she going to be loyal to me? Is she going to leave me? I've seen that she's been dating a whole bunch of other people and that tells me that she's probably not loyal, which makes me insecure about committing to her. So how can I commit to her? You see what I'm saying? Like it goes both ways. So anyway, uh, I got time for one more question and then I have to go. Okay. All right. Let me just look through these. I'll pick the best one that's left. Someone already answered that. No, I'm not being biased against other types. Every type is capable of manipulation. Yes. Like, like literally every type is capable of manipulation. Because remember, all social interaction is a form of manipulation. Get over it. That's a fact. So. Okay. I think we can go with this one. Okay. Can an intuitive person be concerned with making sure that information is remembered and recorded with the greatest possible accuracy? Uh, yeah, they can. If they're like SI, like if they're an INFP, absolutely. INFPs are kind of walking libraries of Alexandria, similar to the ISTJs are. You know, they're very similar in that way. Uh, ENFPs can as well, uh, absolutely. So NFPs definitely can. Uh, do NTPs do a very good job of it? They try, but not really. Not the best. And uh, do INTJs and ENTJs do it well enough, but only for themselves in the form of their own notes that they have because they have to store their memory in the physical environment with their memory tools, etc. So, uh, and do uh, NFJs do it very well? Not really. Let's be honest. They just don't really do it very well. They try, but they don't. And that's why they like to have totems, you know, people around them, SI users to remember things for them and use those people as reference, which NFPs they exist specifically to do that for NFJs, basically. So, awesome. I think that's our last question, Jeb, for the night. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Any news, any updates? 
Yeah, uh, actually, I would. Uh, so I would like to address the audience. Uh, thank you for being my audience. You guys are the dopest. And uh, insert the dopest GIF while we're uh, talking about that. And uh, with that being said, uh, if you want to have your questions in the Q&A session, uh, like being like first dibs, join us on the Discord server and put your questions in the Q&A channel where all the questions are and they're added to our spreadsheet to be on the show. And uh, otherwise, and then we'll obviously make sure that there's 10 to 15 minutes at the end of the show to actually, you know, get to the questions that are in the chat. Of course, we'll do that. Um, but just get on the discord because that way, you know, when the Q and a session's coming and then your questions are there and we'll definitely get them uh, in because uh, the first 75% of the show will be based on those questions on the discord. And then we're going to be doing like, you know, the live YouTube chat questions, et cetera, as well. Uh, so be aware of that. Um, I have additional uh, lectures coming out very soon. And uh, I'm uh, also going to be making some changes with getting the quality, the sound quality and the visual quality and the lighting figured out soon. Um, so thank you guys for being patient with me on that. Uh, the other thing I'd also like to mention is that we just did our last giveaway uh, on No More Mr. Nice Guy, which was great. And uh, we're gonna be having another giveaway round up very soon. Uh, so we're going to be giving away some additional books and, uh, look for also a giveaway where we're going to be doing a, a free coaching session with me. It's like a 200, $200 value and, uh, you get a free coaching session. So we're going to be uh, giving those away as well, but that will be given away on my Instagram. So if you want to get into that giveaway, uh, follow me on Instagram and, uh, all you'll see uh, how you can enter to win that, uh, from my Instagram account. If you don't know where my Instagram account is, go to csjoseph.life and then click the Instagram button, then just add me on Instagram and you're good to go. Uh, so yeah, we'll definitely do that as well. And also in uh, future uh, sessions, uh, our meetup group was actually a really good success. We had people show up. I'm thankful that people like actually showed up. I was very, um, happy that people showed up. And we're going to be having guest appearances uh, on the live stream here uh, for the Q&A sessions with uh, people that are in our Bay Area uh, meetup group, basically. So we're also going to be having some guest appearances as well. So just uh, be aware of that as another thing that's coming. So other than that, Jab, I think we're good to go here, uh, unless you can think of something. Yeah, um, yeah thank you, everyone, for showing up. I noticed one person said they didn't like my question selection, but I basically tried to do them all. So maybe consider asking some good questions, mate. Uh... <laughs> I, the, I, the, there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? Right? <laughs> right? Right? Well, I, I, don't, I personally don't think they were that bad, but... No, I think I think all the questions were great. I think all the questions are great. Uh, so yeah, thank you for the top call. The bit butt hurt, but oh well. Uh, I mean, <laughs> never never not be butt hurt. I'm butt hurt all the time. I have SI inferior. You know that. <laughs> so good. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. That concludes everything. Yep. See you later, guys. See you next two weeks or a month. Yep. Have a good night. Depending on if he has me back. See ya. Yeah, I'll have you back. What are you talking about? All right. See you all probably about uh, two to three weeks from now. See you then. Have a good night. Thank you.